Welcome to episode number one of TWIP, This Week in Photography. My name's Scott Bourne, and we have absolutely no idea what we're doing because this show just kind of came together for... Uh, for today, but well, what's funny about it actually is, is that is that it, it it came together over a year and then yeah. and then very very quickly. You know, uh, Scott was unable to do it for a while, and uh, I had a I had a conflicting engagement, and uh, Alex was kind enough to invite me back, and that is Mr. Alex Lindsay from the Pixel Core, who has dealt with cameras that cost as much as a quarter million dollars, but that's another story we'll get to later. And uh, to my right, uh, audiences, uh, well, in the center, um, this is Steve Simon. He's a world class photographer. He has books of photography to prove it and we were very lucky to just capture him on the floor. He was giving a presentation in the Digital Photography Symposium, was kind enough to sit in and join us for the first show. Welcome to TWIP, Steve. Well, I am so honored to be the surprise first inaugural guest of yeah. this show, which I'm sure will continue for 100 years. Well, we hope you'll be more than a guest, that you might even consider being a regular because you, uh, you have some significant work. Uh, what we usually do on these shows is we kind of talk a little bit about news, you know, like, like whatever happened recently in, in, in the field we're covering, in this case, photography. Uh, we might talk to a guest about things they're doing. We might talk about gear tips or sure, how-to tips. Sure. And Alex, we've, we've got plans here that involve not just audio, but video and even perhaps screencasts. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a, a lot of, we, one of the things that we've been in the past, at least in the Fixacore, is we've been very uh, a modal. Like we, we just have video screen uh, uh, podcasts, just audio, just screencasts. And th so the idea is what if we mix it all up so you don't, you know, you'll obviously get a regular audio podcast, but we might add add some video if we think that that makes sense, or add a screencast if it's just a matter of drawing over something and talking about something. So uh, we're going to kind of mix it all up for you. Yeah, I think screencast could be particularly powerful because when you're trying to illustrate subjects like exposure or depth of field, right? They're so ethereal that just talking about them in an audio format may not get it done. Exactly. And and I always find that even the smartest people, Steve, can have trouble with these. I was teaching a brain surgeon about really? exposure. A brain a real brain surgeon. Wow. And he couldn't get it. Really? He couldn't get it. Now, this is a guy who could work on brains. My God. Well, maybe not on my brain. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want that to happen. But ha, uh, do, do you find <laughs> that? Do you find that sometimes uh, it's hard to teach these concepts to people uh, when they're just getting started? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a, an epiphany moment for a lot of us when we're we're getting into it. I think you just have to continue to work through it, and there reaches a point where ah, it starts it starts to make sense. It takes it takes a little while, but once you sort of as a roller coaster, you get up to the top. And once you sort of start going down, there's you get it, and that's it. And I, I think it's harder for us now. Uh, I think people getting into it now sometimes can find it harder to learn because our cameras do so much for us. I, I don't know how how you guys started. Of course, I started with like the little the, my Pentax K1000. It was all manual. Everything was all set up, and so I had to learn all those things, or nothing would come out the other end of the camera. I've been completely reinvigorated with digital, and in some ways, I'm thinking that the learning curve is much faster okay. because. You know, you get that instant gratification. You right. get to see things a lot faster than you used to be. Mm -hmm. I think you can take a lot more chances because you're not paying the big bucks for the film and the processing, and I think that can be uh, kind of inspiring. And I find that I'm trying things and occasionally having lucky accidents and going, hey, I'm going to go with this, and I'm going to continue along those lines. So, Well, I, I, real quickly, just, I mean, this is our inaugural show, and, and we kind of refer to these, Alex, as placeholder podcasts because we, we drop them on iTunes and say, hey, we're here. Right. But we're going to try to give some real information. I thought it might be good to start out with just really brief, like backgrounds in photography. 
and photography related things. For instance, I, I mean, one of my first times seeing you on TV, well, you were teaching Photoshop, which is something right. near and dear to most photographers' hearts. Well, why don't you talk about your photography interest and background real quick? Yeah, my, my background is I, uh, I, I got my first you know, K1000 when I was about 10. My uncle uh, was very into photography and uh, very into the science and the, you know, uh, he was building high-speed cameras. And, and, uh, and so he, uh, um, so I learned how to develop when I was 11 or 12, um, and uh, I became the darkroom head in high school. And so I, I really um, came from that kind of analog background. And of course, what I wanted to do with my computer was make, make uh, images. And so uh, by about Photoshop 1.5 or 2, I was playing with you know, Photoshop. And uh, so, um, so I did a lot of that, and then I did some Photoshop, for, I mean, some, a lot of photography, very, um, basic photography for uh, Star Wars, uh, doing uh, textures and grabbing stuff, and it's a much different thing. I'm not taking pictures of people. I'm trying to get pieces of metal, like how metal looks or how concrete looks or whatever for texture maps that I put onto things when I was a 3D artist at uh, Industrial Light and Magic. And, and the, the learning process there with Photoshop is my, my, uh, my supervisor was a guy named John Knoll. So he, uh, John, no, wait a minute, John Knoll, John Knoll. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be one of the first names you see when Photoshop fires up. Right? Uh, Tom, Tom, his brother, his, his brother yeah. Tom Knoll is, is still, on the, still on the list oh, there, yeah. and John and Tom put it together. And so, so um, and I, you know, it was really a great opportunity to learn a lot about, uh, you know, um, uh, about Photoshop. Um, and, I, and I have to admit that, I mean, while I learned a lot and I think that I, I understand certain things about the camera, I, I agree with you in some ways that my real understanding came from when it went digital and I really switched, in about 2000 I switched to digital and I, uh, the, the number of photos that I take, you know, it just massively, I mean, it's, it's, it's not unusual for me to shoot and as an amateur, not, some, I mean, not, not, as, I mean as some, not for my work, uh, just for fun, to shoot, you know, 30, 50, 100 photos a day. You know, of different things. I, d I do it as notes, everything from notes to be behind the scenes to everything else. And so, uh, anyway, that's kind of my background. I, 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 uh, I like taking pictures. Well, well Steve, I, I would refer to you, because uh, I've looked at your work. We met a, a year or two ago here at Macworld on an Aperture workshop. I would refer to you as a photojournalist. Would that be a fair way to describe you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, for years I worked in the, the newspaper industry. I'm from Canada originally. But, uh, but like you, I started out, I think I was 11 years old. And the enthusiasm that I felt in, in Montreal, I used to go to the roof of my apartment building and photograph planes and sunsets like every day. But the excitement and enthusiasm that I had for photography as a young kid, I have to tell you, I probably have more enthusiasm today. And I think it's a real blessing for us to find something like photography that is just so uh, uh, satisfying and allows you to continue to, to grow and get better. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm probably more enthusiastic, and I think part of it is the digital. I think it's the reinvigoration. Uh, it's the trying some things that are starting to work and then going with them. But uh, my background has been in journalistic photography. I worked for newspapers for many years, um, and then I taught photojournalism. Uh, but it, it reached a point where I wanted to sort of do longer-term projects, and the newspaper uh, schedule just didn't allow me to, the, the time to really take. So I ended up uh, leaving that and just pursuing my uh, documentary projects uh, full time. So, so that's what I'm and, doing. And we're going to touch on that before we close because you two share an interest in Africa that I want to get back to. But uh, I'll just briefly tell you my background. I, I've had this weird dichotomy in my life. When I grew up, I thought I wanted to be on the radio until you know, my um, half-sister's husband gave me a camera and said, would you go to shoot the Indianapolis 500 for me? because our newspaper doesn't have a photographer on budget and here's the camera, just point it at the cars and take a picture. And I, 
I went out to the Indy 500 because I grew up in Indianapolis, and they stuck me on the short suit turn with an AP sticker on my arm because I was what they called a stringer. And Tom Sneva had the good graces to crash his car right in front of me, and I got a full-frame shot of it that appeared on 2,000 newspaper front pages that day. And I went home going, I'm going to be a photographer! <laughs> and I got I paid like $2,000, and I was like 16, and I was like, I'm retiring, I'll never need a job. This money will carry me through college, buy my first home, my first car. I'll just be good to go. And I took the $2,000 and spent it all on gear. And it was like four years before I ever got paid for a photograph again. But anyway, I, I started out shooting sports photography, ended up uh, buying some wedding studios and, and doing some wedding photography. Then I, uh, you know, I also worked in radio all that time as well. And I started this company called Net Radio. And I made some money and retired and spent about 10 years traveling around as a wildlife photographer. And since then, I've done four books, 88 Secrets to Photoshop for Photographers, 88 Secrets to Wildlife Photography, uh, a book called Captivating Wildlife, and 88 Secrets to Selling and Publishing Your Photography, all available at Amazon.com. Um, and uh, I'm I, not able, no matter how hard I try, to shake my interest in photography. I, I make my living Once primarily. Once you're in, you're in. There's I don't, no getting I, out. I don't make my living at it anymore, but I, I, I end up doing a lot of it. I end up working on book projects. Like I you. mean, that's an interesting point, the idea of making your living through photography, because in some ways, it's not always the best way to go, because no. when you have the passion for doing certain types of photography, and then you have to, then you go into it for a living, and then you find, you know, survival is success as far as I'm concerned in this business. It's very difficult, and you end up doing things that maybe... Isn't it, aren't exactly what you really got into photography for the first place in the first place for, and it may just take it may just tarnish some of that that pure joy that you had about photography. So for those out there that maybe ponder, oh, they they're not so happy in the job that they're doing, and they they do have a passion for photography, um, I I say that uh, sometimes you know that's okay if you can just concentrate on the stuff that you really really want to do. Well, and you often can't as you said, do projects when you're uh, you know, a working photographer because there's too many assignments. And you've got these beautiful books. And uh, Alex, you're sitting here and probably noticing that there are some African children on these books. And Steve spent quite a bit of time in Africa, and Alex has too. And, and uh, both of you guys have a heart for Africa. And uh, the, for Africa, of course, in any way you sh uh, shake the dice, it's an amazing place to take pictures. You've got landscapes and animals and people and situations you just don't find over here on 22nd Street. And it's just a rich a area. And Alex, I know you take your camera every time you go. Uh, you know, obviously photography's got to be a, a, you know, something you spend some time doing over there. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an interesting, you have this, uh, in some of the countries I go to, you have to be conscious of when you're taking photos. You know, there's a, there, you know uh, it's not a, you know, here we, we're pretty cavalier. We're standing on the sidewalk and we feel like we can take pretty much anything we want. Uh, in, uh, in Africa, you know, you just have to be awake, you know, when you're taking stuff. And so, and it's hard because there's so much that is so, uh, that's always grabbing at you. You don't take a picture of it. You, know? you really have to concentrate, don't you? Because it's just such an overstimulus and you really have to sort of not be seduced by the fact that everything's so new. Right. Because then you might be disappointed in the images that you get. You yeah. really have to keep your concentration. Well, and I, and I find that you, um, there is a relationship you get with you develop with people that you're shooting that is much different, I think, than here, uh, because they're very interested in what you're doing. Uh, you know, cameras are not, especially digital cameras. Cameras are not something that's normal. You know, the, it, you know, I uh, I um, have this. I had this process. I'm now kind of changing it, but uh, 
I had this process, I'd have a Polaroid camera. So if I took a picture of someone in the rural, in the rural areas, I'd take a Polaroid of them and I'd give it to them. And, um, and, uh, and, I, and so I, start, I, was, I walked into this village and I started taking pictures of these kids. And the, the crowd got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I kept on, you know, and then I'm starting to run out of Polaroids, you know. And, uh, and, but then what, what happened was, is I, it was out of the corner of my eye, I looked up and I could see women coming down from, the, from some of the huts that were further up. And they were kind of fixing their hair and, and getting ready. And I realized, it was like at that point I realized that I'm taking the only photos they have of the family. You know, and so one of the passions that I have is trying to go back now with a little one of those little portable printers and really do something. You know, that's a project that yeah, I'm really. Let's just. Right I now. just want to dwell on that for just a second. I just want to, in fact, sigh a little bit and think about the gravity of that. Yeah. If you don't think photography is important, I mean, you're changing people's lives. You're some some of these people have never seen themselves before. Uh, some of them and have never had a photo. And they've seen themselves maybe in mirrors or in whatever, but, but they haven't, they've never had a photo. They, it, it, and life is, it, it's, it's interesting, because I, I think about when I take photos from a personal point of view, and almost from a professional point of view, what's going through my head is I want to remember this moment. Yeah. You know, with my son, I have, my son is like eight, seven or eight weeks old, and I, I take, you know, that mostly 20 or 30 photos a day of him. But a lot of times I'll be sitting there, and I'm just, I just see him, and I go, I want to remember this moment. And I go get my camera, and I take like... And he's cute. And by the way, you know, everybody says that's a cute baby, and actually <laughs> the baby's kind of ugly. His baby really is cute. <laughs> he's hard not to take pictures of. He's mostly <laughs> he's, in a good He's mood. officially perhaps the cutest baby I have ever seen. <laughs> in fact, he's so cute, he, he's like dangerously cute. Yeah. <laughs> I find myself staring at Alex his blog going this ain't even my kid and I think he's cute I mean, why am I looking at somebody's kid that ain't my kid I was like man so it's hard not to take pictures of him you know and, and, uh, and I sit there and all I have I don't it's not a complicated you know I have my little I have a little uh, Canon D20D with a 50 with a fast 50 and I just sit there and just shoot really short you well, depth of field and Steve I'm going to tell a story that I just heard about you today from our good friend Derek Story Derek Story, the co-author of iPhoto, the Missing Manual with David Pogue and a, and a uh, well-known professional photographer said, we were talking about your work and uh, we were talking about your work in Africa in particular and, and Derek paid you a high compliment. He said, Steve is the kind of photographer that has the ability to go into a situation and become invisible. No matter what the subjects are going through, it could be war, it could be medical problems, Steve can be right next to him and they don't see him. And you see that in his work because he's transparent. And, and a lot of photographers, you know, we got an ego. Steve doesn't have an ego in his work. What he's decided to do is tell other people's story. And that's an aspect of photography that's often lost on the point and shoot people. It's a storytelling medium. No, absolutely. And I think that's obviously a key. What you're doing, Alex, sounds really wonderful. And I think I never take the, the privilege for, uh, for granted when you're over in Africa and the time spent, the people are very generous, they often have very little, if, if, if not anything at all, and the generosity that I've, I've experienced in Africa has been incredible. Yeah. And the fact that you're giving back in that way I think is, is admirable. As much as I try to, as much as I can, I'm often not quite as, uh, well, as good as you. In, well, in it, it's just one of those, um, we do so much work there and, and, and I find that you know, they say some, some tribes, depending on where you're, where you're at, or, or some um, groups of people will believe that they're, they won't look at the camera because they believe they're, they're giving part of their soul to you when they, when they look at the, at the camera. So you'll get a lot of these like looking to the side and looking over and, and everything else, and that's just the way they, they, they're fine with taking the picture. They'll smile for the camera, but they just look the other way. 
But in, in some way, you do feel like, like when you actually look at the photo, when, when someone in, uh, when in many areas of the rural, in the rural areas, when they're looking into the camera, you really feel like you have an attachment to them. Yeah. That, that isn't like what you feel oftentimes here. It's just a very uh, presence, I think, that is, uh, that, you know, for me, you know, being in the rural area in Africa is uh, where I'm most happy. Yeah, no, you know, I, it's, I, it's I, I sort of have similar feelings. Now, the, the subject of my last book was uh, AIDS, HIV, and it's a very serious subject and a very difficult one as well. Um, and the fact was that in my experience over there, uh, the people understood that this was something that they needed help with. And they understood my motivation was, was, was honest in that right. I was really there. I mean, I'm there as a photographer, but I'm also there... I want to tell their story, and I want to bring their story to a Western audience, and I'm hoping that some good will come of it, right. even though I can't pay them. And I have to tell you, rarely was I even asked for, for any money, although sometimes I would contribute at the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to that invisibility thing, I think that's really important. And in the digital age where we can see the, the image in the back of the camera, and we know as photographers that sometimes can be an icebreaker to show your subjects this. But in my experience, especially in foreign places, as soon as the cat is out of the bag that you can see the image behind the camera, the whole scenario changes and everybody wants to see the picture. So I often will go through an entire shoot without trying to sort of keep that secret. Not because I want to deprive the, the people the, the enjoyment of seeing the images, but just because I won't be able to work once, once they know that they can see it. So, you know, in some ways you can use that to your advantage, but often it, it, you've got to be careful with that. Yeah. Well, this is a nice way to segue to something that I hope we make sure we do in every show, and that is give tips. I want to give tips to people so that this week in photography is a valuable enterprise for people beyond just being entertained by our witticism and pithy comments. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the tips that I'd like to give is make sure when you take a photograph that you tell a story. That is an important tip. Whenever I'm about to press the shutter on my Canon, I ask myself, right before I press the shutter, why am I making this image? What story am I telling? What am I contributing here? What a difference is this going to make or not? If you do that, if you just slow down enough, instead of just walking around going, ooh, San Francisco, ooh, pyramid building, ooh, fisherman's wharf, ooh, crab legs on the raw sidewalk, you know, ooh, bum on the park bench, looks like he's been there too long. I mean, if you, if instead of just wandering around snapping shots, you start to ask yourself, is there a story I want to tell? Is there a memory I want to protect? Mm -hmm. And if so, then you're at a point where you become much more contemplative and thoughtful about your imagery and you'll notice something no matter what stage you're at in your photographic career your images will start to pop they'll start to make a difference you'll go wait a minute these these are better pictures like and, I, and I'll use the perfect example the guy with the beautiful little baby I've, I've known Alex a long time and he's always been a decent photographer but boy in the last eight weeks his game it stepped up. Why? Because he's emotionally engaged in what's happening. He's taking pictures of this beautiful baby. And the imagery, I mean, Alex does a lot of stuff. So he's not just a full-time photographer. And for him to be as good as a full-time photographer takes this investment in the idea that there's a story. He's trying to tell a story. And what's the blog where those pictures are? Uh, it's just at uh, uh, web.mac.com slash Alex Lindsay. So it's just, it's just my web. Web.mac.com web web slash Alex Lindsay. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you can see the beautiful baby for yourself and you can see the engagement that Alex has. So my tip today is, you know, think about what you're doing when you start to snap a picture and tell a story. Be there to document and protect others' memories. It's a noble situation to find yourself Can in. Can I just add to that? Because my yeah. tip is sort of extrapolating mm -hmm. on that. And, and the fact is, if you can find something that you're passionate about that you can pursue longer term, one subject, and it could be your beautiful baby, it could be if you're passionate about the environment, you can, if you can find a subject that you can really start to work on and get some good images and then continue to grow on that, you may find yourself ultimately with a book project, with uh, an exhibition, and more importantly though, you may find a real passion to kind of, you're excited by some of the images you have, to, you've started on this, and then you're just that much more uh, passionate about finishing it and growing it and making it stronger. And the other thing that I would say to you is, and you guys might understand, you, I'm sure you feel the same way maybe, and when I look back at, a photo, at my photographs for the whole year, um, there's only very few kind of special moments, you know, that I was able to kind of be there for. And when you have that kind of special subject matter or moment happening in front of the camera, never let it go. Follow it through to the very end. Um, when the light fades, you're out of time, and then let it go. Because there have been times in my photographic life where I see something, oh, it's kind of great, and I shoot it, and then I kind of walk away, and I've regretted not seeing it through because even though I got a good shot, there might be something better on the horizon. And the fact is there are very few of those kind of magic special moments in, in the course of your shooting that when you do get there, you don't want to let it go away before you completely squeeze everything you can from it. And I'm going to, I'll build right on that, <laughs> which is that uh, when I was, um, uh, what, what, what that reminded me of is when I was, uh, uh, when I was at Lucasfilm and I, I called a guy who was probably one of the best Matt one of the better matte painters in the world. So a guy named Paul Houston, one of the best, you know, and he just does incredible matte paintings. And, and he takes a lot of photography, a lot of photos. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go down to Alcatraz, I'm gonna shoot a whole bunch of photos, and I need, I need to get good texture maps, and, and uh, how do I do that? And, and there's this long silence, and he goes, well, buy a lot of film, take a lot of pictures. And I was like, and I, and I, I walked away, and I thought, Man, he didn't give me anything. You know, like, like it was just, you know, it's like it's like walking up to the mountain and talking to the Zen master, and he, he just says, you know, walk forward. You know, you know, and and uh, so wax I wax on, wax off. Yeah, exactly. So I so I, I went out and I bought, you know, I bought twenty rolls of film and I shot twenty rolls. And what I noticed in the progression of those rolls was how much better I got. And and it was a weird thing to develop your eye for, which is looking for really nuances and texture and lighting and everything else. The, 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 the thing that I learned there uh, uh, more than any other time in my life uh, and watching that progression of those photos was uh, how important it is to take a lot of photos. You know, it, it's, you, the thing is, is that that was the big difference. I was talking to my sister about this and um, a amateur photographer takes a snapshot, you know, I mean, like of stuff. A professional photographer takes 20. Now, there's, but, there, but what I don't mean is just take lots and lots and lots of photos. They're always trying to frame it. You're always playing the game that this is going to be the great shot. I'm not sh doing a shotgun of grabbing a whole bunch of imagery. I'm trying to make this my money shot, every one, but I keep on taking them. You know, I don't uh, try to get one shot when I could have had 20. Uh, I just take them all because they're digital. You can throw them away. And, and now we can do that. You know, uh, when we, when we, the only, a pro was the only one that could do that because they, got, they had the money to throw film away. But now an amateur, you take, you know, you can take 150 photos of Macworld and you'll keep four of them. 
You know, like on the webpage that you see on my thing. I'm going to give you a acronym that might help you with that. It's called EDFAT. And it's what I use when I want to approach a subject and tell a story. And like Alex says, I want to take lots of pictures, but I don't want to take 20 of the same exact scene. I want to make sure I'm working all the possibilities. So I use EDFAT, which stands for Entire Details Focal Length Angle and Time. EDFAT, Entire Details, Focal Length, Angle and Time. So that means when you go to the movies and you go to the Kevin Costner movie, and what's the first opening scene of the movie? The entire giant landscape of rolling hills and cows and horses. That's the establishing shot. So you, you do a shot or two that says, here's the overall area, here's the context. Now, let's go to details. Maybe I'll shoot just a cowboy's boot in a spur in, a, in, in the side of the saddle, and maybe I'll shoot just a little bit of the tack on the horse, maybe half the horse's head. I'll start to work details that really get the story in, intimate. Then I'll vary all those shots with different focal lengths. I happen to have a Canon D40 here with a 15 millimeter fisheye lens. Now that's going to give you a very different result than a 400 millimeter f5.6 Canon lens from a distance. So I'll change my focal lengths, take the same picture with different focal lengths. And boy, you've got a different story. Then I'll change my angle. I'll shoot up and I'll shoot down. I made an image of a little baby mountain lion once. I wanted to tell the story of the power he would become. So I got down low and shot up on him on a rock and give him the, the prowess that he was going to have as opposed to the fact that he was only 16 inches tall. And you can shoot down, you can shoot different angles. And then time, I'll shoot different times of day and I'll also play with fast and slow shutter speeds. you want to add anything to that? Yeah, scene? no, I, I completely agree. I think the, 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 the shooting process is a bit of a compositional dance and you have to sort of start somewhere and then move in uncomfortably close and then move back and really start to experiment. And if you shoot 14 frames and you come back, you have 14 to choose from. If you really work the image, you've got 42 images and chances are the, the, the keeper shot is number 32 that you never would have got to had you not shot that much. And the other thing that I would sort of suggest is rather than, I use a parade as an analogy, there's so much going on, but instead of kind of shooting it all, look at the stuff that's most visually rich and then concentrate on that. Go sort of an inch wide, mile deep, and really kind of work it, and you'd be surprised just you know, how eventually you find yourself in a photographic place that you couldn't have predicted, and your stuff is starting to get a lot stronger. One, one last thing I'll mention, Melissa Farlow, who's a great documentary photographer, she said that she would shoot, her thing and she might shoot six rolls and she's exhausted and the thing is ended and then she would force herself to put one more roll in, this was during the film days, and she would shoot that last roll and even though she sort of thought that she got something, whatever, she would push it a little further. Sometimes during that last roll, something kind of magical would happen. She would find herself in a place that she never would have predicted, but you know, it's, it's work and it's shooting a lot of film. But because we're so into and so passionate about it, it doesn't really feel like work, but once you get those, those diamond images, it gives you the motivation to just work harder. Well, uh, it's going to be our goal to make sure that during each episode of TWIP This Week in Photography, we give you a little bit of news, and uh, the photography news this week is actually about next week, and that is the annual Photo Marketing Association trade show lands in Las Vegas on the 29th, actually two weeks from now, uh, in Las Vegas through February 2nd. And the reason you want to know that is this. Today would be a very bad day to go out and buy a digital single lens reflex camera. 
because I promise you there are going to be some big announcements. It's sort of like buying a brand new Mac the day before the Steve Jobs keynote. Almost always a bad idea. You don't want to buy a new camera body right now because in a couple of weeks we're going to have PMA where we're expected to see quite a few announcements from all the major manufacturers. That's important photography news to know. Another bit of news to know is those of you who have been hearing the controversy regarding some of Canon's new bodies, there have been some issues related to the autofocus. Uh, we have reports now that they have fixed those problems and are taking their cameras back in reluctantly, but doing it and fixing them. It has to do with a very small issue in what's called the sub-mirror, and it's not aligning properly. And they have focused fine for the most part, but under certain circumstances they're not focusing well. There's a guy that runs an incredible news site about photography named Rob Galbraith. Would you concur? Canadian. Canadian. Well, about that, then let me say, A, um, the, go to his site and, and just do a Google search for him. He's always got the news. Rob Galbraith. I can't, I can't. Could you come? Oh. R-O-B-G-A-L-B-R-A-T-H dot com. Check him out for some news. And uh, there, there's lots of, of news sites. We're going to start, hopefully, to build a blog for this show where we'll link some of these items. This is our first episode, so we're wandering through it. We'd like to hear from you and find out what you think we should be talking about. Do we have an email address uh, for this that we want to use, Alex? Not yet. Not yet. So could we just uh, maybe use one of my general email addresses? Sure. Okay. So if you have comments uh, about this, why don't you just send me an email to scottborn at mac.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-B-O-U-R-N-E, like the Born Identity, scottborn at mac.com. And just put a subject note that says TWIP. So I know you want to talk about This Week in Photography. Let us know what you want to learn. Let us know what you want us to talk about. If you've got guests that you'd like to suggest, photo books that we need to know about, if you've got gear that you want us to review, we're also going to do some gear reviews. And remember, we will bring some video to bear. We'll also get going with some screencasting. And uh, it, it should be fun. This is going to be a little bit shorter than most of our shows, probably, because we just wanted to get the ball rolling. We're, we're glad you stuck around for it. Uh, Alex Lindsay from the Pixel Core. Where do you want people to find you, Alex? Pixelcore.tv. Uh, uh, Pixelcore.tv. Pixel and Steve Simon, thank you so much on short notice. You're very welcome. For adding some legitimacy <laughs> to our panel. Where would you like people to be able to get in uh, touch well, with you? I have a website, stevesimonphoto.com. And uh, if you're in New York City uh, in March, I have a, uh, an exhibit at the Leica Gallery on Broadway Street Ooh. starting March 6th. Big time. Did all right for a Canuck. Yeah, not bad. And uh, my photography website is avianstock.com because I primarily like to do bird photography. A-V-I-A-N stock, as in stock photo, S-T-O-C-K.com. Check that out. And once again, you can send me email, scottborn at mac.com. This has been the very first inaugural episode of TWIP This Week in Photography, live from Macworld. Thanks to the Pixel Core for production assistance, and we hope to see you next time. <laughs>